We're thankful, O oh God, for your word. We're thankful for its truth. You grant us the opportunity to learn from it. Guide us now as we take a look at your word by your spirit. Spirit of God, open our eyes. The truth of it we ask in Jesus' name. What sin knocks at the door of your heart? What sin knocks at the door of your heart? Is it greed? Bitterness? Lust? Pride? Is it envy? What, what, what sin knocks at the door of your heart? Years ago, I'll call her Joan. I met a woman who wasn't a part of our congregation, but she really struggled with having to have everything done her way. She had to be in charge, and she had to have done things her way. And so because of that, she wreaked havoc wherever she went. She wreaked havoc at church business meetings when things weren't done the way they thought or she thought they should be. She wreaked havoc at church committees. But it didn't just end there. She wreaked havoc at work. She wreaked havoc wherever she went. She wreaked havoc in her own family. Her kids grew to resent her. They wanted nothing to do with her because she was so consumed with control and power and couldn't see it, that she isolated herself from everyone else. People just couldn't stand to be around her. My brother and I get along really well, but we do have some brother, brotherly rivalry. Even yesterday, he and I were talking on the phone for a bit, and Amy and I enjoy vacationing with him and his family and our kids. Um, but my brother enjoys like just some of the silly banter. So here, his birthday, my birthday are both in October, just a couple of weeks apart. So my family always celebrates our birthdays together. So as we got older, they still celebrate our birthdays. I'll be 50 this year, still celebrate our birthdays. And uh, my mom used to get us different cards. But as part of our birthday tradition, you would either read your card out or depending on how busy it was, kind of pass your card around so people could read it. And invariably, he would get my card and he would say, huh, this says this and this about Dwayne and my card says this and this about me. Surely, mom, you love Dwayne more than me. So then mom started to buy, we were probably 30, this has been a while now, my mom started to buy us the identical birthday cards, right? So here are the identical birthday cards. And um, we all get 50 bucks for our birthday. So she would then, we would then pass these cards around, but he would have gone and gotten 100 bucks out of the bank and slipped it into his card so that everybody thought mom gave him more than me. Uh, and he just loved to do stuff like that. And we can, we can banter about that and get along and it's fun. But I've seen this go all sideways. Like I've seen brothers who resent brothers. I remember Rick years ago, right? He was just convinced that his parents loved his brother more than him. Though they would deny it, and there was no evidence of such, he was convinced that his brother had a better relationship with his parents than he did. He would also say that they favored him. And his resentment and his jealousy grew and grew and grew until finally he stopped talking to his brother and then stopped talking to his parents, and last I heard, still is not doing so. What sin is knocking at the door of your heart? If Genesis 3 is about the temptation of Satan to humanity, Genesis 4 is about the temptation of the flesh. It's about the temptation of the sinful nature. So if you have your Bibles with me, Genesis 4 verse 1. Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So you have Adam and Eve. Most likely, Cain and Abel are the first two human beings 
born. We don't know that for sure, but I'm fairly confident in the language of the text that that's what's being said here. That God granted Eve, Cain, and she says, with God's help, meaning God has allowed us to have children, with God's help we've, been, we've brought forth a man, and then Abel comes along. And she sees the gift of children as a gift from God. Now we'll see later in the text that when Cain is banished, Cain leaves with his wife, which means that Adam and Eve had many more children. Estimates would put Adam and Eve's children anywhere between 50 and 100. That likely there's between somewhere 50 and 100 children that Adam and Eve have, given their age, given how long they lived, given their fertility, and some would think they must have been Dutch, but that's not the case. Now Abel kept flocks, so he was a pasturer. Cain worked the soil, a farmer of the land. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on favor, or with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, his face was downcast. God here, in commenting on their vocations, is not elevating one over the other. He's not saying Abel had a better vocation than Cain. That is not the comment. God is just letting us know one was a farmer that looked after livestock, sheep, and others, flocks, and Cain, one was a brother who looked after soil and land. And so they both bring an offering to the Lord. We don't know why. God was evidently still speaking to them because we see that in the next verse, or we would assume that from the next verse, where God speaks in the next verses directly to Cain. But here we find that they both bring offerings. All we have is the description of the offerings to note the difference. Cain brought some of the fruits. Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn. We know when we get to Deuteronomy and Leviticus that God requires fat portions and that of the first of the land to be brought to him as a trust in God that I'm going to give you some of the very first that's coming off the land, believing that you're going to continue to provide for me from the land. But that hasn't been written yet. And so here it would be as if God had already commanded that to them. They show up with their offerings, and as they show up with their offerings, Cain's is not accepted and Abel's is. We don't know how they know that. The Bible doesn't say it. There's all kinds of speculation around this. Some commentators think that God flew fire down from heaven and it sucked up Abel's offering and not Cain's. But that is nowhere in the text. Maybe God said it directly to them. But however they knew, they knew. And Cain is furious. He's very angry. And his face is downcast. Now he has no right to be angry, except at himself. But he's angry at God. So verse 6, the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. Here, God wants Cain to come to the realization that he's angry because of his own sin. But Cain can't do that. Cain can't admit his own sin. He wants Cain to be able to say, I blew it. I did this wrong. I didn't do this right. But Cain can't do that. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? God says to him. And Cain simply continues to blame God. 
God says to him, if you do what is right, meaning that he must have known what is right, will you not be accepted? God says, if you do what I'm asking, I will accept you. But note this, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. The idea of the term crouching is like an animal waiting to pounce on its prey. An animal waiting to devour its prey. That's what sin does. Sin wants to devour us. It desires to have us. Sin only, always, ever can produce death. We think it produces momentarily, momentary pleasure, and it might. Or satisfaction, and it might. But it can never give life. Sin can never give life. Sin can only ever bring death. Whether that's bitterness, or pride, or jealousy, or power, whatever that sin may be, it will only ever bring death. Reminiscent of James 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now note, James isn't saying that the evil desire is sin in of itself. It is evil, but the fact that you have an evil desire doesn't mean that you've sinned. What happens is temptation comes our way, that desire is there. To be envious, to be jealous, to be proudful, to lust, whatever that desire is, to be bitter. And you nurture it. That's the idea here in James. It's conceived. You nurture it to conception. And when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin as it grows only brings death. So the idea here in James is be careful because that evil desire will be there. And that desire that you're to master over, that he says to, 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 to Cain that you're to master over, that sin that you are to, to, to in essence, uh, put away, as you put away the old sinful nature, be careful of it because it longs to have you. It longs to bring death. Cain said to his brother, let's go to the field. And while they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Killed him. Sin blinds us. Sin blinds us. I remember a number of years ago, we had a couple that was here, and they'd been maybe at the church eight years. And another couple had been at the church maybe a year and a half to two years. And the couple that had been at the church a year and a half to two years was a very hospitable couple. They were inviting people over. They were having people into their homes. They were, just, they were just great at doing it. And the couple that had been here eight years met with me because they were really upset that the couple that had been here a year and a half had never had them over. They'd had all kinds of people over from the church but never had them over. And I was like, you, you see the irony here? Shouldn't it be that you who've been here eight years are inviting the couple over who's been here a year and a half and not the other way around? But they could not see it. And they were angry at me, and they were angry at the church, and they were angry at everything because these people weren't as welcoming to them as they thought they should be. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you've been here long enough that you should be the one inviting people in, not waiting for others to invite you in. And you've got this all wrong. And they actually left the church over it. They were just that upset. And they were so blinded by their sin. And I could just see how it spiraled them. They spiraled into this world of mess. Their self-absorbed mess. Because sin blinds us. So then the Lord says to Cain, verse 9, where is your brother Abel? Where is your brother Abel? This is reminiscent of Adam and Eve, right? Where God says to Adam, 
Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? Adam, have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? Have you disobeyed Adam? Have you done what I asked you not to do? And this is reminiscent of Adam and Eve. What does the Lord want Cain to do? The Lord wants Cain to confess his sin to him. God, I've sinned. God, I killed my brother. God, I've done what is wrong in your sight. God, I sinned when I brought you the offering you didn't require. Now, Cain was allowed to bring a grain offering. He was just supposed to bring the best of his grain offering, the first fruits of his grain offering. And so here we have Cain, who should have confessed his sin of not bringing what God required, and then Cain, here now, confessing that he killed his brother, but he won't do it. The Lord says to Cain, where is your brother? He's offering him the opportunity to come in repentance to him. I don't know, he says. Am I my brother's keeper? He lies to God. I don't know where he is. And then he says, am I really responsible? Is this really about me? Is this something that I have to be concerned about? Like, what's this got to do with me, God? Am I my brother's keeper? Do I have to be looking out for him? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and you are driven from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. I want you to note this. This is important. God cursed the serpent. God curses the ground. And now God curses Cain. Now God curses Cain. Says you're cursed. And as your father was cursed, the ground was cursed for your father because it's now going to be hard for him to till the land. It's going to become even harder for you, Cain. It's not going to produce what you want it to produce. This is going to be difficult. And he curses Cain. Curses Cain. He says, you'll become a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, as we look to this, I want us to just think a moment about the New Testament because Cain and Abel are both mentioned in the New Testament. And it gives us a hint of what's going on here and a hint about their hearts. In 1 John 3, we say this, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, his brothers were righteous. So here you have God's comparative. He says, Cain's actions were actually evil, Abel's actions were actually righteous. That's what's going on here. Cain granted an offering that I did not accept, Abel didn't. And then Cain went and murdered his brother because he couldn't deal with his own sin. Hebrews 11, verse 4, By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So somewhere in there we know that God must have indicated to these brothers what he required. Cain chose not to do it. He refused to do it. And his jealousy and his anger over God's acceptance of Abel's offering, not his, drove him not only to murder his brother, but he was unwilling to confess. He was unwilling to come right with God. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land. I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Cain knows that when one of his siblings find him, they'll kill him because they want to take vengeance on him for killing their brother. Cain knows that that's part of this whole thing. When one of my siblings find me, so this is how we know Adam and Eve had more siblings. It wasn't just uh, Cain and Abel at this point in time. 
because Cain's worried about who's going to kill him. Well, who is there? Only his siblings. Who knows how many? 20, 30 at this point in time? Because I'd suggest Cain and Abel were not children. This wasn't some family feud at 14 or 15 years of age. Were they in their 20s? When they were in their 30s? Given the long uh, years of life, were they, were, they, were they 60 years old? I mean, Cain is married. right? You're going to find that in a moment. Cain makes love to his wife. You know, they, they go. They're in another land. And, and so he has a wife there. He didn't go on his own and find a wife. There was no wife there to be found. He took his wife with him. So what's happening here is Cain knows someone's going to kill me. One of my family members is going to kill me because they're going to want to take vengeance on me for having killed their brother, my brother. And this is more than I can bear. But notice God is still gracious. The Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. So the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found it would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now lots of people speculate about what this mark is. We have no clue what it is. Some people say it was possibly the first tattoo. I have no idea. And if you're really curious and you want to get to heaven and ask God, God might simply say to you, that is inconsequential to your faith. It just doesn't matter. Zero. It just doesn't matter. But whatever God did, he let Cain know, or let everyone know, by this mark on Cain, that Cain wasn't one to be killed, or their consequence would be even greater. So Cain goes, and he leaves to the land of Nod. Now, I want you to note this. This is the consequence of a life without confession. Follow the line of Cain. So Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was uh, then building a city, or it can be translated settlement, which I think is better. He's not building Hamilton or Vancouver or Toronto, there weren't enough people, but he's building a settlement. He named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, to Irad, and Irad, sorry, was the father of uh, Mahujal, and Mahujal was the father of Methushal, and Methushal was the father of Lamech. So you have here this line of Cain being established because God is still gracious and grants Cain a line. And then note, Lamech marries two women, one named Ada, the other named Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. Verse 21, his brother uh, was named Jubal, and his father, and he was the father, sorry, of all who played string instruments and pipes. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Namah. So they have livestock, which talks about a great economy. Instruments, which talk about culture. Tools, which talk about manufacturing. So you have, through Cain's line, everything you need to survive in the world. You've got culture. You've got manufacturing. You've got the economy, livestock. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech 77 times. Here's what happened. Instead of Cain repenting, instead of Cain saying to his family, I sinned against the Lord and I confessed my sin, instead of breaking that chain, Cain told them all this story. If somebody kills me, I will be avenged seven times. So then somewhere down his line, Lamech, who's born, has a man injure him. He kills the man for injuring him and says, if Cain was going to be avenged seven times, then me, Lamech, his descendant, 77 times. And Cain's legacy 
because he's unwilling to confess his sin, becomes one of sin. And that's all Cain's got. Cain has this legacy that simply demonstrates his arrogance, his unwilling to repent, his unwilling to confess his sin. And his sin is passed on through his family line. I mentioned this in my group a few weeks ago on, on a Thursday night with a group of men from our church. How We'll get to this in, in, in the book of Genesis, how Abraham twice calls Sarah his sister to spare his own life. And then who else does it? Isaac. Isaac follows his dad's pattern. He does the same thing. So note these four things quickly. Cain has disqualified himself from the line of blessing, but not God's general grace. Because Cain's unwilling to confess his sin, because he's unwilling to repent, he's disqualified himself from the line of God's blessing, but not God's general grace. That's why his line still has manufacturing, economy, culture. Because God's general grace still exists, and the sun that shines on us today shines on all the non-believers. The rain that falls on us today falls on all the non-believers. When the economy tanks for us, it tanks for them. The economy boosts for us, it boosts for them. Two, God's general grace permits economic affluence and cultural advancement. And you see that in Cain's line. God's general grace just allows our culture to continue to advance economics, the economy to continue to offer affluence. And that's what happens here. Number three, sin here perverts God's design for marriage. Lamech, part of Cain's line, now marries two women. And so you have the first perversion of marriage right here. And then lastly, sin corrupts God's honorable gift of life. Life is not seen to be valued as image bearers anymore, which is why Lamech will take the life of a man for simply injuring him. While Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And do you see the contrast? There's two lines. The line of Cain, economically prosperous, culturally advanced, manufacturing, and the line of Seth. And after Seth is born, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And what God is saying in this moment, in this brief little sentence, is you can have everything you want in the world and it comes to naught if you're not calling on the name of the Lord. The most important thing in your life is not how well you, you, well you do economically or culturally, not how well you do in terms of your manufacturing skills and talents and abilities, your academics, it's whether or not you call on the name of the Lord. And that simple comment at the end of this chapter is contrasting two lines, the line of Cain and the line of Seth. So really quickly, these things. One, God grants life. God graciously grants life. Eve said that. Cain and Abel were a gift from God, as were all of her children. Number two, God is concerned with our hearts. God looked at the givers of the gift and Cain's heart, Cain's heart that was angry, Cain's heart that blamed God, Cain's heart that never turned to God in confession and repentance, who still told people the story, but told the story out of his own will and way. I will be avenged seven times if someone comes at me, if someone murders me. So much so that his descendants, then who killed someone, Lamech, 
says if my great-great-grandfather or great-grandfather was going to be avenged seven times, I will be avenged 77 times. And the line isn't broken. God is concerned with our hearts. Three, sin desires to destroy us. Sin desires to destroy us. Sin always only ever brings death. That's it. That's all it can bring. Sin can only ever always bring death. And it crouches at your door like that lion, like that, that animal that longs to pounce on you and devour you. And it longs to devour you. It longs to destroy your marriage. It, it longs to destroy your walk with God. It longs to destroy your church family. It longs to destroy your relationship with the Lord. Sin longs to devour you. Four, and Andrew, you and the team can come up. God calls us to confession. He does it with Adam. Have you eaten from the tree of which I forbade you? He now does it graciously with Cain. He asks Cain where his brother is. He wants Cain to confess. This whole story could have looked different had Cain simply confessed his sin to the Lord. Lord, this is where I've sinned. Lord, I've been angry. Lord, I've been rebellious. Lord, I've sinned. And walk with God in dependence. Fifthly, God judges all sin. Ecclesiastes tells us that, right? That God will judge all sin, whether it's been out in the open or whether it's been hidden, whether it's been thought or whether it's been done. God will judge all sin. Lastly, God's plan cannot be thwarted. So Cain killed Abel for offering the right sacrifice to the Lord in his jealousy. God still graciously provides a line of worshipers through Seth. God says, I'm not done. I've made a promise that one day, though this whole world be cursed because of sin, my son will come. I've made a promise that Messiah will show up. And the serpent will strike at his heel. But he will crush its head. Which line are you a part of? I mean, maybe today as I've talked, a sin has come to mind for you. Pride, lust, bitterness, greed. I mean, you just name it, right? Jealousy, anger. And today, the Lord's brought that to mind for you because you just need to confess it before the Lord. You just need to say, Lord, this is it, this is it. This is what I'm struggling with right now. Do not let sin master you. Let God be your master. That's what God is saying here. Do not let sin master you. Let God be your master. It's waiting at the door, crouching of your life to devour you. Sin will only ever, always bring death. Only in Christ is there life and life an abundance. So today as we move to these last couple of songs, I invite you in these moments to confess your sin before the Lord. I invite you to take these moments and say, God, this is my sin. God, this is what I'm struggling with. God, this is it for me. God, this is my anger. God, this is my pride. This is my jealousy. This is my, you just name it, before the Lord. And say, God, this is my sin. I confess it to you. You brought it to my mind today. This is my sin, God. And allow his grace to wash over you. Allow his hope to fill you. Allow his joy to come your way. And allow God to be your master and not sin. Would you pray with me? We are thankful, O oh God, for your word. We're thankful for its brilliance and how it shows us, even through these two lines. Now, there's one line that prospers in the world's eyes, but another in yours. And God, we could have all the economic advancement, all the cultural advancement, all the academic advancement and be without you. 
God, may you cause us to be a people whose first inclination is you. As we're faithful, God, as we come before you in confession, we thank you that you are faithful to forgive because you are our God and we are your children. We pray these things in Christ's name.